All right. All right. Did I talk enough? I'm going to talk now. That's a good thing. Going to talk, 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 talk. Radio Chad. Welcome to Noclip. I'm Chad Rutherford. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Psychonauts. Psychonauts was released in 2005 on the PC, PS2, and Xbox, uh, and is a 3D platformer. And I think, more importantly, at least for my experience, uh, it's the game that sort of put uh, like both Double Fine and Tim Schafer on the map for me. Because uh, I did not grow up playing, like, uh, Monkey Island and those kind of, like, LucasArts adventure games that the the Double Fine team was sort of known for before they started their own company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have any real exposure to them as a developer until, like, just several years ago. Um, but I was aware of this game. I feel like this game came out around the time when I watched G4 a lot, and I feel like they covered the <laughs> crap out of this game. That's very possible. I feel like Double Fine's, like, hot streak period was in this era of, like, the mid-2000s because they had this, and I know uh, Brutal Legend got good coverage as well. Uh, and I think all that's pretty valid. This is, from that time period, Psychonauts is the only one that I, like, consistently enjoyed. Like... Brutal Legend started as a cool game and then turned into a, a strategy game. And uh, <laughs> if you've seen our catalog at all, you're probably aware I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, that, that was definitely disappointing. I know, remember when you told me that I was because I was interested in checking that one out and mm. then was not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, but no, I think uh, I, I played this for the first time. I played like the first half of it. Uh, like right before we started the podcast and then ended up not finishing it because podcast right? Uh, and just came back to it for this. And I have to say, I, I feel like it's definitely like one of the most underrated games of its era. Possibly. I mean, uh, I, I would, ve- I would venture to say that it is more overlooked than it is underrated. Fair enough. I, I think that it was well received by the people who did play it, but, uh, it may it it still sort of fall, falls into that middle category of like games that people generally knew about, but not a whole lot of them played it, like mm-hmm. uh, Okami or something. Yeah, um, and I think partially um, that has to do with like I know in my case I didn't even know this had a PS2 release. Like I always thought this was an Xbox exclusive game mm-hmm. until you told me you had a PS2 copy. <laughs> Um, cause I, I could have swore I just remembered this, like, being an Xbox thing, and that's, and was sad that I couldn't play it as it, a kid, because I totally would have at the time. Its marketing is very green, so yeah. that might be, <laughs> might have played into it, like, Blink's the Time Sweeper. Yeah, I think it, it launched on Xbox, like, a month before the PS2 or something. It's possible. I, I didn't look that up because I didn't look shit up because you've been writing all the information down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it was like a couple month difference or something. Yeah, I had it on PS2 and didn't know that it existed on other things. I'm not even 100% certain how or why I own the game, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest. But uh, it's been for a long time, it has been on my list of sort of like favorite all time games. And. Because of that, because the last time I played it was in like 2010, uh, 
and I played it when it came out on PC. Or I guess not when it came out, but when I got it on PC. Mm-hmm. And uh, I enjoyed it again. I saw it like a, another time. This this time through the game was the fourth. And I gotta say, maybe this game is more of a nostalgic thing than it is. I, I, I think that I would reconsider as like objective quality where this actually lands as far as games that I like. Yeah, I think it starts out really strong. And has like a good like core to it, but it it is a it ends up kind of being a mixed bag. Yeah, as it goes on. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll have to get into certain elef- ele- certain elephants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get into certain elements of that sort of like as they come up. But uh, I think the first thing that I, I I need to say is like this game. Its eyes are bigger than its stomach to some extent. I think that the game has a lot of really good ideas and I still enjoy the hell out of it, but I do feel like it's reaching for something and the technology or the experience of the team, something wasn't there. Uh, And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Like if people waited for the perfect moment to release everything that they come up with, we wouldn't have anything good ever. (laughs) Uh, And that is... So I, I commend it, and the fact that it came out as early as it did almost makes it feel a little bit ahead of its time, but there's a, a technical element to this game that feels lacking. Now, I would agree with that, and it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly one thing, mm-hmm. but... um, Other than the sides of your temple yeah. <laughs> when you're doing a sweet mental trick. But uh, now, I feel like, yeah, like as I said... Um, there's a strong core there. I think it starts out feeling like this super tight, cohesive thing, and it just doesn't quite maintain that throughout. And it's in like a, c- a couple different areas, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can get more into that those specifics as we go along. I think uh, one thing I wanted to uh, that stood out to me like right off the bat was I feel like the summer camp is a surprisingly great fit for like a platformer hub world. Like it kind of reminded me of like Mario Sunshine where like the hub world is supposed to in like a 3D platformer is supposed to be like the more relaxed in between area and setting it like here in the case of like a laid back summer camp or like you know like on a vacation island like in Sunshine it it just like a surprisingly like laid back nice fit yeah and i I don't disagree with that i think that their utilization of the hub world starts as you said uh about a lot of things in the game starts really strong and then over time becomes uh more inconvenient like the the overworld and the fact that there's lots of stuff hidden there uh as as well as just like your utility things uh I think are all very good and important. I like that it's all there. Uh, but then the later you get into the game, the more of a hassle it is to go back. Cause you got to like go talk to the fish, go across the lake, go back to the thing. And it's like, I just needed to get some dream fluffs. Like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's faster to just use the bacon and extract to, back extract to Calder's to lab bat lab and then fast travel the bat lab, the bat lab. Um, but yeah, that was one of my, yeah, the more disappointing things about the game to me was once you get across to the asylum, 
you basically aren't incentivized to engage with the hub at all anymore. Right. The hub becomes a lot more linear. It's yeah. like a level select at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. And uh, also the summer camp setting... I mean, summer camp setting is important to this game for a lot of reasons, uh, but one of my personal favorites is the fact that it, it gave them an excuse uh, to write all of these minor characters, mm-hmm. and all of them sort of have like a plot through line that goes on in between them that is entertaining in its own right that happens in just these like little vignettes, and I, the writing is, I think, unsurprisingly the strongest element of this game with the possible exception of levitation the power (laughs) uh it's like i don't know it's very it's good that they were able to get more scenes in the camp because of of the setting yeah i I would agree i think the writing and the kind of like the general concept and theming are the best parts um that's something that i think double fine is really good at um things really come together well i talked talked about this on a couple of episodes now i think the one that's coming to mind is like katamari where everything just feels really cohesive like on that base level where um the idea of like being a psychic and then going into other people's minds and those being the levels in like the setting of the camp and like the idea of the psychonauts and you know, all that stuff um, is really well thought out and fits the genre of game really well. And all of this just kind of sounds like a checklist of, like, good game design things. But, like, it's <laughs> it's surprisingly rare that it all comes together, like, in a, like a way, like, you know, this cohesive of a way. It's, like, this charming. Yeah, I think co- cohesion is a really good word to use for it because, like, I don't remember if this was just like private conversation or if this actually happened on the podcast, uh, but we were talking about Luigi's Mansion uh, when it got announced, and I remember a concern that you had about it being set in a hotel uh, for the third game, where it's like, is this going to be just levels, or is it going to be like a cool hub like the mansion in the first game, uh, and like that is that's like a concern in a platformer like you want a level of cohesion so it doesn't feel like you're going just node to node on a map uh it's one of the reasons that like the 2d mario games that they've released since the snes era have not stood out in comparison to the 3d ones because there's a lack of of uh like wholeness to them there's Mm -hmm. like it's too disparate it's separated and it feels like individual challenges yeah and that's something that's always been really important to me um as being someone who is a hashtag 90s kid (laughs) uh mario 64 is one of like the earlier gaming like memories for me and the, the one of the biggest advantages that had was the hub and how it made it feel like a an adventure and less like levels right and um i think um this has kind of helped me flesh out that idea that we were getting at earlier where i think the first half of the game leans into a lot of that stuff it it kind of pushes into that what was new in like or like being refined in game design at the time like that more cohesive experience and less gamey stuff Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word and it kind that kind of those aspirations kind of like fall off 
as it goes along and it becomes more linear. And I think that's kind of where like you feel the divide. Yeah. And, and this did come out during sort of like a golden age of this kind of design as well. Uh, especially on the PS2. Like when I was playing this game, I, it was in direct relief with games like Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter, uh, which also do, uh, well, Jack way more so than Ratchet and Clank, but, uh, did these like whole hubs and worlds. And even though that game is more linear, uh, and you do still go between like environments. Uh, it's all sort of conceptualized as a big world, um, and then they go <laughs> fucking ape shit in the sequels and make it like an open world game with guns. But we're <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll talk about other Jack games eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Psychonauts, though, it, it it's it's consistent throughout, but the design of the hub is not. Yeah. Um, and while some of your earliest memories of the genre come from Mario 64, uh, mine do not, but they do, however, come from Banjo-Kazooie, uh, which this also shares a familial bond with uh, by being basically a collect-a-thon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not necessary to do the collecting in this game, uh, with some exception like you have to at least reach rank 20 which should happen if you sneeze at the controller (laughs) but uh like to actually complete the game you don't need to go out of your way uh but it's with one notable exception i guess you have to get 800 arrowheads (laughs) this is true to get the the cobweb duster yep that's not too time consuming with the uh uh rod though yeah it's just that that was a point of friction for me because I was enjoying exploring the camp and felt like I was like regularly looking for and picking up arrowheads. And by the time I got to that section, I only had like 250. Right. <laughs> and you have to like halt everything, go back to the camp, get the dowsing rod and run around for like 45 minutes. Yeah collecting the necessary arrowheads to progress that felt pretty clunky to me yeah i will uh give you all the slack in the world for that because it is it's a bad choice i think uh the economy of the camp is fucked up and (laughs) which is probably was not real high on their priority list i assume Mm -hmm. but like in the ideal world the dowsing rod item would have been put into a garbage can (laughs) and they would have reduced the cost of the cobweb duster to like 150 yeah i feel like they could have even kept it um but like actually given it to you as like a mandatory item so that you would have been encouraged to like use it and have been using it enough to at least be close. I suppose, yeah. Or yeah, you could just get rid of it and lower the cost. Uh, that's another option. But like, <laughs> if they really wanted to have it, I still think it could have been balanced so that it wouldn't be so far skewed. Like you know, like yeah. a difference of like six hundred arrowheads. My main concern is with I haven't been like I haven't mashed a single button on a controller. <laughs> in such a long time that those muscles have atrophied and died. Mm-hmm. And when I was trying to do the arrowhead mashing thing, I uh, like got a cramp in my forearm, which has never happened to me before. <laughs> <laughs> so it's either a symptom of me growing old or the, the tapping thing died out as a trend in gaming and I just never uh, 
didn't develop those same yeah. weird muscles. But yeah, that's that that's really the big thing. If they had made the mini game different, yeah, like, they rather could than have just designed mashing, it different, yeah, yeah, because it ends up being it's too much of one thing, and that applies to both pressing one button and also getting a bunch of arrowheads in the middle of the game just halting your progress like you said and it's like it's not fun and it's the sort of thing that you're gonna end up just like looking up a guide for (laughs) or something you know like it's it's just yeah not very well considered well i don't think that i mean no it's no no shade if you looked up a guide. (laughs) oh yeah it's so hard to actually find the arrowheads with the dowsing rod you just walk around but like it's so fidget it's like (laughs) you have to be in like the pixel perfect spot for the thing to charge all the way up so you can be like walking around a spot, having it go up most of the way, but not all the way, right. and like having to like find that exact spot. Like you can waste a lot of time with that. This is why you didn't get forearm cramps. You can be pretty far away if you mash fast enough. Uh, like the amount that you mash influences how far up, and like depending on where you are, the harder it is to get it to go up. Okay. See, to me, it felt like you had to be in like the spot where it was to get yeah. it. You do if you don't want to injure yourself and your body. <laughs> Well, either way, well, then that's not signaled well enough. No, it really isn't. <laughs> I think I may have just remembered it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, before we got off on that whole thing, uh, we were talking about sort of how the game doesn't force you to, to collect stuff, but it is enticing a lot of the time. Particularly, at least for me, it was the the figments. The fact that you could, like, that you would just, like, catch one and be like, I can just, like, run over there and get that. And before you know it, you're like... How did I get this far away from the original path? Yeah, I feel kind of the opposite about the figments. Um, there's so many of them, mm-hmm. and the big thing is that they're two dimensional. So <laughs> if you're viewing them from the side, you cannot see them. True. Uh, so it can be insanely difficult to <laughs> collect them all. Yeah, I think the only level in this particular playthrough that I got all the figments in was in the Milkman Conspiracy, which I felt like it was just sort of, mm-hmm. like, it's very simple because there isn't a lot of, like, hidden space. That one's more compact, yeah. yeah. But, like, they mean, they do have the classic platformer collectible where they're, like, sad. They make a nice sound effect. Yeah. They're colorful. They're satisfying to collect. But, like... You see that bar go up on yeah. the side? Oh, but like, it's very good. For me, it would be like I'd go through the level trying to collect as many as I can go while I go along. Then I'd hit up the level again later. I'd come back to it and try and sweep everything up, and I'd be missing like 5 to 10 and then be like, well, that's it. Like I don't, <laughs> yeah. I'm not putting in forth any more effort than that. <laughs> uh, so, And that's... That's just kind of how I engage with the figments. Yeah, I mean, mechanically speaking, like, the max level that you would need to get to to have everything, which is, once again, not at all necessary to finish the game, Mm -hmm. is 95, which you can get to, I want to say, like, reasonably easily missing several figments in every every level. Mm -hmm. But uh it it isn't necessarily about the compulsion i think that actually collecting all the figments is a big detriment to your experience with the game yeah there are a couple of levels where it's just like fucking impossible uh the dance party for one is really hard because of that stupid race and you have to like go through it like eight times to get the uh all the figments in it Mm -hmm. anything that has like a rail grindy thing has the same problem 
not to mention ones where they're just legitimately kind of hard to find. Right. Um, I found the the mental baggage or emotional baggage and the mental cob or Jesus. That's so right. many so many things. Yeah, it's emotional baggage, uh, emotional bag- baggage, and the memory vaults uh, yeah. to be the much more enticing collectibles. True. Well, because they make noise and move around. Like... Yeah, but they actually like well the the emotional baggage is just like kind of cute yeah. in a cartoony way and they they're crying uh and you want to rescue them but the um the memory vaults actually give you like backstory on the characters which i think is super interesting in a good way to like motivate you to collect to find them yeah and they they give you they give you a lot of things that the game would not outright spell out uh because they give like a a backstory that isn't directly related to the events of the game uh whereas like the you have one memory vault that always is directly related to the events of the game and then you have a second one that is not that's more like the background information on Mm -hmm. the characters and their actual like profiles um and that is very good i also do want to shout out that getting all the emotional baggage unlocks the primal memories which are slideshows that show uh like concept art Mm. and this is a thing that's like not gone from games like this still gets put into things but whenever i do notice it i do want to shout it out because it's such a good thing uh because one, i mean i don't know shit like that is what made me interested in sort of like the design process in the first place so yeah i'm glad that they're in there that you can look and see like how the characters actually evolved over time yeah i mean if you're that interested that you're going to collect everything odds are you're interested in that True. So it's like a good thing to put in as a reward. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything else on collectibles. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else to say on collectibles. Um, I guess to to bounce off of that with my levitation ball, <laughs> um, I actually found like the core mechanics of this surprise. Like they felt like they held up surprisingly well. Like on a base level, I think it feels really good to like control and. Um, even like all the little merit badge abilities felt like fairly engaging. You don't use them a ton, but like I still felt like they all felt pretty good to use. Yeah. I I think the game likes to do a thing where uh, it'll introduce like an ability and you use it in that level and then you move on and go back to like your core abilities. But it likes to sort of throw in, be like, hey, use this ability here. And I think sometimes it ends up working out really well um, with things like in the final level, uh, you can use invisibility to dodge like the the attacks from your weird dad. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, And I think that's a that's a good touch because it's just like a thing you can do. Uh, But then like. I I don't want to talk about the Milkman conspiracy like excessively because that level already gets enough press. Mm-hmm. But that the boss battle that happens in the middle of that level and again at the end of that level, the fact that there's lev- they have a line of dialogue if you die to it that just literally explains word for word <laughs> what you have to do because it is so unintuitive. But they want you to like crack the thing in half and then throw a bomb in it. And the levit er, the the telekinesis thing, like I hadn't used for a million years and wasn't even thinking about it, and it was not clear. 
Yeah, I, I feel similarly, uh, and that was definitely a great example of when it doesn't work. But f- to me, for the most part, I really liked that about the game, that it, it gave you a tool belt, and then I think... It, I feel like it, it wasn't like a perfect balance or anything, but like a pretty good balance of like, you never know which thing you might need to use when, and you'd often forget about certain abilities and be like, oh yeah, I've had this all along. <laughs> right. <laughs> and like that, that can be like a, like an enjoyable process to figure out. But yeah, sometimes it leads to too much frustration. Cause I know that that fucked with me too, that boss fight. Yeah, well, we'll come back to the boss fights because I think that they are universally pretty atrocious. But uh, yeah, that was actually that was really going to just be my one example of uh, of it. Not it, it's not the only example, but it is like the one that is the standout for me. I think generally speaking, they do a really good job with with the tools. The only issue, and this isn't really the game's fault, is it has kind of Ocarina of Time syndrome, where because you can only equip three at a time. You have to keep bringing up the menu and mm-hmm. then change the thing and then change the thing back and then change it back and back and back and back. Uh, especially since if you're like any sane individual, you always have levitation on one of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably are too. Yeah, I didn't even realize you could change it. You can. You can yeah. replace it with something else. Yeah, but... I, 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 for some reason, thought you could only change the other two spots and thought levitation was locked in. Yeah, it, well, why, it might as why, well be. Why yeah. would you change it? Like, <laughs> there's like no reason to. Yeah. It's the best. It's thing. like it. It becomes like part of your jump. Mm-hmm. Like you, 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 du- you, you double jump and then you use it to float. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't do that all the time. Yeah, it's 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 bizarre to think of. So aside from levitation, what did you think about their use of? abilities in the game because i i feel like we had kind of a conversation like this uh, when we talked about metroid prime Mm -hmm. and how it felt like some of the uh, pickups in that game were a little half baked and i do kind of feel that way about this as well yeah um i feel like that's the kind of thing it's gonna vary a lot person to person because like uh, i Early on, I just kind of used the first couple they gave to me, like just the the side blast, like your basic shooty projectile, right? Um, and um, the the telekinesis and the the levitation jump, and slowly over the course of the game, I came to realize that pyrokinesis is great. It is, yeah. Because uh, it allows you to, like, just set things on fire from a distance, uh, which, because sometimes the shooting can be kind of finicky. So, like, that's a good backup to do, uh, like, a pretty decent amount of damage. But, um, no, I would agree. A lot of them feel like they don't accomplish a unique enough thing that they don't really feel necessary so there's a lot of them that you can ignore yeah that that's kind of what i was getting at i think my my biggest culprit for this i think is clairvoyance yeah because it it seems like the kind of thing that could be replaced with a held item uh like mm-hmm. the cobweb duster is lens of truth yeah, like yeah, like exactly like the lens of truth, because the it it's used so infrequently, and it is used more often to deliver jokes than yeah. it is to actually 
progress in the game. Mm-hmm. I think because it's like it's the thing that is most disconnected from running and jumping, like yeah. doing platformer things. Yeah. It it comes up so infrequently that it almost feels like it should like if you went out of your way to use it a bunch like you might unlock some kind of secret thing with it right you know like you'd go back to the camp and use it on a specific person to reveal blank thing that would lead to blank thing you know like you could almost imagine it would be a good way to hide easter eggs and things yeah and i mean that very well might be in the game i don't actually (laughs) know uh as much as many times as I've played this game, I've not really gotten that in depth with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is possible because yeah. currently, a lot of the time, you just sort of like you get the like, what do they think of Raz thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't think you ever have to use it outside of Milkman, and I don't think I ever did. I, you are probably right. Yeah. I do not remember that because in that level, you had to have an an item um to go into each like special area that the like government agents were in Mm -hmm. and in my mind i had linked that with the clairvoyance power and was thinking that i needed to be holding the corresponding item to see through the eyes right of is that how it works it's yeah you see through the eyes okay so then how does that work not in that level uh oh oh i know what you're talking about now yeah so it works with certain handheld items it says but you can also just use it on people and Mm. see through their eyes okay uh it it, like is supposed to link with things you hold the crow feather and you can see through through the the eyes of the crow yeah yeah and i think that's specific for those enemies and also that bird Mm -hmm. uh i don't know if that applies to other things but the only time that i remember actually having to use it to do something because you don't actually even have to do the crow thing if you know how to solve solve the puzzle aka go real fast and jump Mm -hmm. uh is when the guy comes out to unlock the the door yeah and other than that as far as i know it's never required to progress so I guess my question stands. <laughs> why, why is it a power? Yeah. It just seems a little bit... Uh, it's like something that's dropped. Yeah. And, I mean, may, it could, maybe it was just to preserve the diamond shape on the backpack. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, uh, it just seems like the kind of thing that they couldn't come up with more than one level's worth of things to use it for. Right. It just seems very interesting because their g- whole games... Like, Watch Dogs is kind of like the clairvoyance power, but for every living person on the planet. Yeah, it, it, it seems like something they came up with, like, a late stage of development. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, other than that, I think they did a pretty decent job. Uh, telekinesis is impossible to control. It's just like a crapshoot whether or not uh, I'm going to actually... So? It might be me. Yeah, I didn't think it was hard to use. Yeah, I th- I could not get it to do what I wanted ever. Like, I felt like it took 30 minutes for mm. the little arrow to come out. Uh, but I don't know. That irritated me a lot, like that power does. Yeah. Uh, which I think adds to the difficulty of that final boss as well, because you have to throw the... Yeah the juggling things at his knees they're just like jacks in the game i don't know what they really are yeah uh i don't know just uh i don't not ideal for me don't mm-hmm. didn't like that one very much but i think otherwise everything had a use yeah it's it does i think a lot better than other games at the time like incorporating that many mechanics i think 
most of them go over well, which I think is, is no small feat. Yeah, no, commendable, commendable. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I think we're too amused by like. We'll give Tim Schafer his game design merit badge. <laughs> Uh, man, do people still hate Tim Schafer? Did they ever? Oh, yeah. There was like Did, a... I'm not very plugged into that, so... That's good. I would have to imagine that perception of him is what I think the perception of Double Fine is in general, where they have their niche audience and everyone else is like, eh. That's yeah. how I would imagine people think of Tim Schafer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Double Fine did just have like a whole... Uh uh sort of like studio meltdown so there's that but mm-hmm. like so that represents tim schaefer's scraggly beard uh <laughs> <laughs> but no there there was like a whole i don't want to reiterate it because i don't want to like bring up the whole thing again uh-huh. uh but the important thing to note is that his name is an anagram of mr shithead which <laughs> is <laughs> which is the best thing that came out of it even though i don't agree uh-huh. uh Mm. I do. I want to. I want to branch off a little bit from that uh, and talk about the writing of the game and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that deserves to be separated a little bit. I agree. Uh, I were there particular. I mean, I guess we just say like levels that you liked. Like, what were your top top and bottom? <laughs> um, I I like how the game's broken up into tutorial and um later levels like you got the initial three uh with the instructors at the camp then you have the the fish uh lisa or linda or whatever linda linda uh which is like a kind of a transitionary thing and then you have the uh, the asylum and i think i fall in line with everyone else in thinking that the asylum levels are the best ones yeah um i i really like glorious theater uh, I think that one's really creative. Uh, I like Black Velvetopia a lot and Milkman. Those are definitely the top three. Uh, I think Waterloo World, well, I think that one's fine. Is maybe a little bit too open. Yeah. Um, I think the strength of the the levels is that they're like smaller, more densely packed areas, and that one tries to be a little bit bigger. Uh, which I don't think works quite as well, but yeah, it's bigger and it also lets you change size in it, which yeah. makes it like not quite three times bigger, but like one and a half times because like the board gets smaller as you get bigger. So yeah, and uh, Linda's level gets a shout out for being the funniest. Yeah, the lungfish opalus. Yeah, lungfish opalus. Yeah, is is very very funny, and I also of all the boss fights. That one might be my favorite yeah. one, uh, even though, like, Overly I mean, that elaborate combination. combination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which gets, like, a little bit, like, it gets repeated, but that's a whole thing that I, like, I think they, generally speaking, should have either reduced the frequency with which NPCs speak yeah. or written a lot more dialogue because you hear the same stuff over and over again. Uh, I think it works in that fight in a way that yeah, it does it in other places. It's definitely really funny. Yeah. Uh, but that whole level is really just like, I hate repeating jokes for the podcast, <laughs> but the whole bit with the orphanage yeah. like kills me every time that I hear it. 
Uh, <laughs> wait, that wasn't the orphanage. <laughs> uh, just, I don't know. Very good, very funny. I even like the lead up where you actually do the platforming while they're pushing the bubble. Yeah. Is cool. It It's funny because you don't really have any control over it. You just kind of walk around and everything just kind of falls to pieces yeah. around you. And there's all these like horrible consequences to all the lungfish people <laughs> uh, that keep being sprung on you like that. And it's, it's just a really funny setup. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do want to like, I mean, I guess if we want to, 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 I think Lungfishopolis, I think, uh, Black Velvetopia and I think Milkman are probably my favorites. Um, I do also really enjoy the dance party thing because it, it, the introduction of Levitation, they give you like a really cool kind of playground to work with it yeah. in. Uh, and I like all of that a whole lot. Um, but yeah. The one thing that I also wanted to mention about uh, the Lungfish level before we actually, like the, the Linda interstitial mm-hmm. uh part where she pushes the bubble and shit like i love that part as it moves through the water they have stuff just like like things that are suspended in the water just like collapse when the air bubble goes over it yeah and it's like such a good like i couldn't stop watching that happen because it was something that they didn't need to do and i'm really happy that they did because it is just this like really like immediate sort of like comical scenario that they're playing with and i I just like that a lot it definitely feels like playing with the technology at the time like Mm -hmm. they're like we can do this so (laughs) let's 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 do that it would be funny yeah let's drop a fish on him yeah Uh, (laughs) now yeah that is a really cool idea for a fight Mm -hmm. and i like anything that in a platformer 99 percent of the time i'm gonna like your fight better if it involves platforming. Yeah. Like the, well, the second phase of the final boss is kind of horseshit, at least <laughs> in my opinion, but uh, we'll come back to that. Yeah. After the break? Yeah, I think so. I've got more things uh, to talk about, but I feel like they definitely should be to go after the break. All right. After the break. <laughs> Welcome back. So when we left, we kind of were talking about some bosses and some endgame stuff. And uh, leading into the mechanics of that. Uh, you asked if I had anything I wanted to start with. I kind of do. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, were there really any bosses that you found to be an enjoyable test? <laughs> because I felt like most of them sort of were the same but I also kind of have this issue with a lot of platform game bosses, so... Uh, no, I felt similarly... They they felt like the most half-baked element of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the standout one is Linda, uh, the lungfish. Um, and, yeah, the ones we called out, and the, the in-disguise... Um, Oleander? Yeah, whatever his superhero name was, I don't remember. Uh, yeah they tell you they say it like a thousand times in the level yep but i just do not remember but yeah those are the two that were probably the most enjoyable um the one that i mean yeah anything else is just like fine if it's not 
you know tedious like the uh, in black velvetopia like the wrestler fights were okay but you had to do it four times so it becomes eh. yeah um but yeah it like the only the only platformers i can think of that have had bosses that i really enjoyed is probably mario galaxy uh i just feel like it's a hard thing to do when your game's focused on running and jumping is the engagement to also include combat mechanics mm-hmm. uh and it's can, it can be difficult to like make a boss that revolves around platforming so it's like kind of a a, a tight spot if you want to include bosses in your platformer yeah and the more complicated your platforming is the harder it is to also include a deep combat system because like i want to call out things like ratchet and clank which had good bosses but at the same time also was way more focused around combat like ratchet and clank is almost a third person shooter as much as if not more than it is a platform yeah it's definitely it's all about the weapons Mm mm-hmm it does have platforming in it and like neat platforming mechanics, but it pretty much all boils down to a jump, a double jump and a float. Mm-hmm. And this game has that as well, as well as a rolling mechanic and a bouncing mechanic and like, you know, climbing, swinging, jumping, all that kind of shit. Yeah. And I mean, to, to put a button on it, I guess, Galaxy really is the standout in the Mario series. And that's the fucking Mario series. Like, yep. if any game is going to nail something at least once, it's that one. Yeah. And uh, they did it one time. <laughs> they just can't, could not do it anymore. Yeah. Like, I like the original idea for Bowser in Mario 3, where you have to make him pound through the ground. Uh-huh. But it was used in the final boss. <laughs> Because you don't have combat oh, mechanics, really. Yeah. Also, uh, you haven't played it, but um, the final boss in Mario 3D World is actually really good. All right, okay. I'll give it, I'll, I'll, I will take your word for it. On yeah. I, it's it's something I don't really hold against it because most of them were not particularly difficult. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't a big sticking point for yeah, me. Yeah, to brush up elbows with the end of the game but not talk about the end of the game yet. Mm-hmm. Um. I wanted to talk about Dr. Lobato specifically. What was the point of that? <laughs> because he, they totally pull a Zant and he just gets switched out for uh, Coach Oleander at the last minute. Yeah. Like, I wish they would have at least had, like, a level in his head or something. Like, so, like, because he has the assistant too, um, and also Shigor. Yeah. So he has two assistants. <laughs> It it felt like one of those three probably was originally supposed to have a level and it got cut. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, I think there's something there's something very weird about the use of that character just at all, because which one, which one? Uh, of uh, of Lobato? Okay, because like it, he's introduced in a dream sequence and dismissed as though he was still in a dream sequence like just with how like brief it is Uh and it's super weird because he's an interesting character like from a design perspective right like yeah and just it's such a basic ass joke Mm -hmm. but the idea that he's just a dentist right but he's performing lobotomies is kind of funny yeah and he's the one who introduces the whole like you sneeze out your brain thing Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's kind of drives the plot, like his plot, to like take the brains of all the kids, 
which I guess is not really his plot. It was Oleander's plot the whole time. Brains are also a good collectible. Brains are a good collectible. Forgot to mention that. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, they get introduced really late. Yeah, but they're still fun to collect. True. Uh, Yeah, but but all of that, like, it, it adds up to so much nothing because his, like, eventual demise is you climb a tower like that's his level basically yeah i mean and i did like the tower yeah actually i mean i wasn't a fan of the rat enemies that explode (laughs) but um i I liked having like a platforming challenge like just like a straightforward climb this tower Mm -hmm. i thought that was cool no, it was, uh, for sure, but it wasn't personal. No. Like not it didn't at all. feel like Lobato's level. It felt like Ooh, a tower you it climb. It felt like a lobotomized brain. <laughs> but it not really good good uh, <laughs> good good save. Uh me. But uh no, yeah. Um Yeah, that just Yeah, like I said, just kinda like reeks of cut content to me yeah like there's something to that final ascent and confrontation that isn't there because you even you get up there you save the turtle for Shigor or whatever mm. and she helps you pull one over on uh dr lovato and then just like sasha just defeats him in a cutscene. yeah like they, it's you don't, don't beam at him you don't do anything to him at all yeah it's really weird he, he's barely aware of your existence yeah like in the whole game <laughs> it, it's super strange and and i think the fact that he takes the place of like the main bad guy i guess in an effort to subvert uh it when oleander like sort of takes over but it doesn't do that particularly well either because he's exposed before you even get to yeah. the asylum. He's set up to be the villain as well. Yeah. And it, it basically means that neither of them have a time to shine, really. Yeah. Except for Oleander in the last level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's it. That's where they, that's Yeah. <laughs> it's like they had two different ideas for a villain and were like, let's just do both. And then it didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no that's pretty much spot on yeah but i wanted to transition from this into talking about double fine as a developer okay um it didn't work out (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um because i feel like this is my favorite one of their games that i've played and i think even this has what i think of in my mind as the double fine issue where their games are usually really creative have really great premises and like things we've talked about. Um, but, and they, they start out really good. And like the first like half to two thirds of the game is like really good. And then in the last third or in other places, they don't fall to unfinished pieces or anything, but they feel rushed. Like they weren't given enough time or money to like make the full game and but it's like a consistent thing with them yeah and it's like we watched the the documentary on the making of uh broken age yeah and you can see it in that game but it also is given context and a justification like the game was rushed the game didn't have enough money yeah they did that second round of kickstarter yeah so they split it into two halves and even then, you can still see the difference, but it's, it feels like it's more justified. Yeah. 
in Psychonauts, you don't have that context, so I don't know what happened behind the scenes. But at the same time, it does, like, just kind of tumble a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's not the whole last third of the game. It's just, I don't know, it's the last two or so levels. Yeah, it's it's after Black Velvetopia. Right. It's when it just feels like, we had something here, but we replaced it with throwing a turtle. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, we had something here to maybe, like, ramp into the meat circus but instead we're just gonna do a boss fight throw you immediately into the hardest fucking level with the jankiest platforms in it uh in the entire game uh and just like drop that on you and be like and then then the game is over then nothing (laughs) happens you do a three-phase boss fight yeah and then there's a big long cutscene. i don't know It, it does then it does seem to be a consistent issue with them but at the same time yeah, I mean, it's probably not surprising f- to hear me say that this is also my favorite Double Fine game, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it has a weakness, and I think that a lot of it is actually in story. I think that the character writing is really good. I think that the plot is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to throw out the obligatory Saturday morning cartoon reference mm-hmm. here. But like it, it really feels like a pitch for a, a cartoon. I mean, it does have the guy who voices Invader Zim and Dag <laughs> from the Angry Beavers as the main yeah, character. So the setup of the camp and everything, like it just, it feels like a thing you could spin off an episodic, week to week animated show from. Yeah, Foster's home for psychic friends. Yeah, and it, it never quite gels into like a interesting story independently of all of like the cool concepts in it yeah and one thing that surprised me because i was not expecting a psychonauts 2 we've confirmed that it is a thing that is happening yeah i'm hoping the microsoft buyout will eliminate the double fine problem (laughs) and they just have enough and they have enough money yeah yeah that would be good but uh Part of why I wasn't expecting the sequel was because I just forgot that this game totally ends on a cliffhanger. Where they're like, well, cl- okay, <laughs> I it, see the look you're giving. It, I don't think it's a cliffhanger, but it totally sets up for a sequel. Yes. Yeah, because it gives you this inclination like, oh, Lily's dad is somebody important. And also, you're now going on a mission. Yeah, you are officially a psychonaut. Right. To, to go do the thing, and it's like, oh, like, I, I, I feel like I didn't expect it, because, like, the first time I played this game, I was a kid, and I didn't beat the game, because the mm. last level was really hard, and I quit, uh, and then I played it again as, like, a teen, and did beat it, and that had already been years, so I just wrote off the possibility of there being a sequel at that point, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, and and it feels very rushed. Like the whole ending feels like okay, like you did the thing. Now you're a psychonaut. No ceremony at all. Here's mm-hmm. a sweater. Put uh, it on. <laughs> your dad showed up. Uh, that was teased early, but was not built up to at all. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like every, like your dad doesn't get talked about at, as much as the narr- the narrative weight that's put on him. Yeah. would justify like. You're like, oh, my dad doesn't like psychics. And they're like, anyway, cool, moving on. Throw this trash can <laughs> yeah, at that yeah. thing. They really set him up to be like, 
a not good father and then when he shows up he's like totally cool laid back fun dad yep and which is just not at all what you would have expected right i i I feel like part of it is like raz is a kid and you're supposed to think like through his eyes it's like when when you're when you're like can i have that lollipop and your mom's like no you're like i hate you right i'll never talk to you again all i wanted was that lollipop just (laughs) one lollipop (laughs) uh but yeah, like, no. but that's not even because that's not how the game is set up. Like, you're not seeing things. You're not seeing things through Rasputin's eyes. You're he's a character, the main one, and you're mm-hmm. following him. But it doesn't skew skew the interpretation of everything else. Yeah. But it does here for some reason. Uh, uh, well, just while I'm thinking of it, uh, I like, I really love that Raz uh, was raised like in the circus. Because it raises the question, uh, or it answers the question, uh, if kids run away to the circus, where do kids in the circus run away to? <laughs> uh, psychic summer camp. Yeah, Whispering Rock, Psychic Summer Camp. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually, just been off of that because I'm done harping on the story, I think it is not very good, but the writing is good enough that mm-hmm. like I totally... It. Yeah, like before playing it this time, I didn't even notice. Yeah, it's it's... Just like a standard video game plot, mm-hmm. like beat the bad guy, yeah, <laughs> is basically what it boils down to. Yeah, the, beat the two to four bad guys in yeah. this game. Uh, but, but no, I also like that he, it was explained that he was that he grew up in a circus because it also gives context to his ability to do shit, mm-hmm. which the is something. Platform. Yeah, which is something that just never gets explained. Like Mario has been around for thirty five years, and he just sort of like is a plumber <laughs> yeah yeah it, it ties back into what i was saying on the first half where like this is the kind of game that has those types of details that really like elevate a game i think mm-hmm. like there's context for like why characters do the things they do and why the things in the game world are the way they are that n- not a lot of games do when you actually like you know take a magnifying glass to them you know like yeah i i think that game mechanics as like a concept feel as though they should be your disbelief is inherently suspended mm-hmm. where it's like yeah nathan drake does is like a i don't actually know what his fucking job is but i guarantee you what it isn't is shooting a lot of people and jumping <laughs> off of mountains but <laughs> but that's what he's gonna do because that's what you signed up for when you bought the game and you don't really take that into account like the the game at no point stops and is like nathan have you ever handled one of these before and he's like yeah i was in nom <laughs> like, that's not a thing that occurs um but this game like it introduces it's it's got all kinds of foreshadowing in it as well like they talk about the importance of different things and they show the meat flower in oleander's first level there's like a little scene about it mm-hmm. and then it doesn't get brought up for like ever and ever uh until well it gets brought up a couple of times but like in in the same similar context mm-hmm. and i think that that is all really good really cool i'm glad that it's there uh because it it's part of what elevates this game above its peers yeah yeah lots of great seeds were planted just not all of them got to grow yes they, it was in uh... this beautiful summer camp <laughs> oh no i dropped my turpentine <laughs> i'm glad you remembered that because that, that is definitely the best joke in the game yeah i think it might might legitimately be uh up there 
and also a good metaphor here. Somebody's trying to grow <laughs> plants, and then the game goes up in flames. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, but yeah, that's... So that's narrative, that's writing, that's bosses. <laughs> what, what else we got? Uh, I, we, we mentioned our favorite levels earlier, but I wanted to, to ask, like, which one you think is, like, the most creative spin? Because I think each level kind of does its own, like, unique thing. Um, I think the the latter few are the best examples, like Black Velvetopia and Glorious Theater. But I was just wondering if there were any of those uh, from the Asylum that you thought were like particularly great or interesting or yeah, gr- great levels. I think uh, Milkman Theater and Black Velvetopia all stand out as being like good platformer levels. Mm-hmm. Um, with of those, my favorite being uh, Black Velvetopia, and then probably Milkman, and then the theater after that. That surprises me. Like I thought that the bull mechanic would be something you'd fucking hate. <laughs> it's visual, like of like the level as a whole, made me look past a lot of that. Um, I'm glad. Yeah the 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 <laughs> fact that it was just so like captivating to be there, mm-hmm. and that's actually similar with Milkman. There's a lot of stuff in Milkman that's kind of tedious as well. Uh, but it's just like a really interesting concept and the characters are written in like a quirky way that makes it fun to, to play through. Um, and then the theaters where the mechanics I think really took a dive, uh, for me because I felt like there was a lot of sort of like the precarious platforming where you don't actually die, but you have to do a whole bunch of stuff again. Yeah. I, I remember having trouble with that the first time I played it, but this time I managed to do it pretty easily, and it and it landed a lot better. I really don't think there should have been enemies. Like, all the enemies on the stage when you have it set to tragedy mode mm-hmm. is awful. Fuck that, Because yeah. like they, like they shoot projectiles at you, and it's just like you're, you're given a view that's like further away when you're on the stage, and it's just not... It doesn't mesh. No, yeah. It just feels bad. Yeah, but, but I really like how, like, condensed that level is. Like, I think it's really... Like, I feel, I feel like it would be really hard to design a level in that way that's got that much going on in such a small space. Like, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, totally agree. That was thematically probably one of my favorites. But the reason I mentioned those three in particular for great level... Uh, and not Waterloo World is because I think Waterloo World is actually maybe the most original of them, but is kind of a chore. Yeah, because it's essentially fe- fetch quests the level. Yeah, I think the c- basic concept is cool, like the idea of having you shrink down and engage in like a really in-depth tabletop strategy game, mm-hmm. like as one of the pieces. Is is a cool one. Like, it is. I, I, yeah, I feel like that has a lot of potential. But yeah, as you said, they kind of make it into a fetch questy thing. Like there are parts of it that are good, and other parts that are not. Yeah, like at, at the points where you have to just like get this thing, go over here, grow to a different size, d- go do that other thing, then walk back. It's like uh, I'm a, I get, get a little tired of it because there's not really a lot going on. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't feel very engaging. It just feels like walking. And there's not really a whole lot of platforming to do outside of, uh, like, getting on that dude's roof. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that was that involved platforming, but most of it takes place sort of on flat ground. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, it's real hit and miss uh but i think the parts that it hits on are the thematic elements and i like fred bonaparte as a character yeah just as a thing it's weird when he takes the straight jacket off and he's got like really short stuff arms because yeah, i imagine he had long ones mm-hmm. well, it's, it's there as a joke and yeah, i think it, it works yeah for sure um and I really loved the gag after you do all those levels and you put all the things that they gave you on you to make you look like Dr. Lobato to right. the assistant who has he doesn't have his glasses or whatever. That's a class. That feels like classic Tim Schafer. <laughs> like like the most like emblematic thing of like a thing he would put in a game. Right. That's like the uh Unfortunately, the game solves it for you, but that's your, like, old adventure game puzzle yeah. where you're like, okay, I have these items and I need to become, <laughs> like, don't, you're, like, holding a cactus or something. You, you have glorious trophy. It's the trophy. For is the, the claw. claw arm. And you put the painting over your face <laughs> uh, and then you put the straight jacket on to be, like, the lab coat. Right. Uh, and, yeah, that makes you look like a, a dentist with a claw <laughs> hand. Um, but while we're on the topic of Tim Schafer, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, um, just the 3d platformer genre kind of in general, uh, and how this game has kind of influenced others that have come after it. Cause I played a hat in time, uh, whenever that came out, it's been like two years or something now, or maybe more, but, um, I think it's been two. It's got, uh, one level in particular, which is the second one, which is the movie theater uh, level, which pits you, um, has you pick sides between two directors and you have to um, star in each of their movies with each level is like a different movie mm-hmm. and you build up points for each one and whoever ends up winning uh, ends up being the boss and the other one helps you. But, uh, but a lot of that level has like, I feel like Psychonauts-esque, like, vignette, or not vignettes, but, like, little set-piece moments and, like, dialogue parts. Like, it's kind of hard to describe. Like, I think that's one thing that I really appreciate about the legacy of this game and other games that uh, Double Fine's put out is, like, how they incorporate, like, narrative moments into the game and, like, these little set-pieces and moments with like lots of personality and like you can see it crop up in other games. Yeah. I I think that there's definitely something here. Like this game isn't as old as time itself or anything, (laughs) (laughs) but it is like, it's getting up there. It's nearly 15 years old. And that is, I, I mean, that's impressive that like we can talk about it like this now. Um, but it isn't so old that it has influenced the genre so much as it's influenced like specific games. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how we talked with uh, uh, some of like the Resident Evil 4, like how it sort of influenced survival horror into a new direction. Yeah. I don't think that Psychonauts did the same thing for 3D platformers. But like if you were developing a character-driven game 
and you wanted to read up on the classics, so to speak, it would be a complete disservice not to play this game. Yeah. Because th- this is a game that really is like, I mean, the whole concept of it, of going, which we weirdly have sort of talked around and tertiarily about because it's that core to the game. Uh-huh. The concept of going into other people's heads and playing in levels that were designed to reflect their mental processes, like, is a unique one. And it's one that puts the characters of the game really at the forefront, uh, more so than most platformers. And I'm sure there was something before it, but definitely not to this degree. Yeah, no, I'm glad that you just had that realization, because I have it in my (laughs) notes to specifically call out that I think that that's genius. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because it really, it, it, it explain as we've been talking about, like gives a justification for having weird and varied levels. Cause each one is like, uh, inner reflection of like a person's psyche. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're all completely varied and different and they're, each one is themed around a different mental illness for all the people who are in the asylum. And, uh, and a lot is revealed about each character uh, directly through the vaults uh, when you find them and also like indirectly just by like little details in the environment. Like there's a lot of good concepts going on there. Like it's just such a good idea for I, I, it fits particularly well in a platformer, but I think it could work even in a lot of other games, just like on a base level. I think it works really well to like explore characters. Yeah, it would work pretty well if like uh, uh, I don't know, let's just say like an RPG or something. Well, right? if you could do it, think Where... about it with like Zelda, <laughs> uh-huh. and you did like each dungeon is inside a person's head. Like it would map equally well to something like that. One hundred percent. But my my whole this is just a hypothetical. I'm yeah, coming up yeah. with about like an RPG where you were to like like each person like creates sort of like their own zone that you could go in and out of uh and like in a certain number of days whatever and then steal their steal their uh, treasure <laughs> okay <laughs> you were really trying to tiptoe around <laughs> yeah <laughs> persona 5 and per- the persona series as mm-hmm. like a generality is something that despite being made on another continent, <laughs> most likely had some inspiration taken from this game as well. Yeah. Uh, admittedly, I don't know how the older games played. Maybe this game cribbed a little bit from them, uh, but I don't know if it's always been as personal as it is in Persona 5. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. But yeah, it's it, 100% you're correct. It maps really well onto a lot of things when you want level differentiation. Like If you look back at the SNES era, uh, which I do frequently because I'm I'm very nostalgic for that era. Uh-huh. Uh, every game on it, for some reason, had like uh, there's like a, a dinosaur area <laughs> and like a lava area, one in space and one that probably had robots that may or may not have been the same one as the space one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that approach was to give variety. Uh, but if it was never given context in a way that made any goddamn sense, right. like sometimes it had something, but most of the time it was just like, we wanted to do dinosaurs. So here we are. And I mean, there's, 
a validity in that like just being like here's our base mechanics here's the worlds you're gonna play and go Mm -hmm. like mario still does that yeah but uh giving it context like this goes such a long way of of making that make sense yeah and this game is extremely varied because of it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm in i'm firmly in the camp that as i said uh, i think early in the first half like i'm just really i really appreciate that stuff i not everybody does but like that's my bread and butter like (laughs) this game i I think on a base level does a lot of the stuff that i really care about in games so yeah i think we want to talk about that final level let's talk about the meat circus (laughs) uh (laughs) so i was actually leaving the house uh as you were starting the meat circus level and i remember that just like because you knew basically, aside from what you played before, mm-hmm. you didn't know how this game went generally, and mm-hmm. apparently nope. we're unaware of the infamy of this last level. Never so, heard anyone talk about it ever. Yeah. So the last thing that I said before I walked out the door was just like, "Remember, the important thing is to have fun." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, my impression is that you actually didn't struggle with it very much. Uh, I mean, I feel like there's probably just a. De- a difference in definition of struggling with a thing between you and me uh but i mean it was more difficult than the rest of the game but i i didn't think it's because it was super hard so much as that it 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 did the what i think is a final level slash boss sin of like completely changing up the kind of challenge that you're faced with from the rest of the game right because it was a lot more like they everything's like timed. There's a lot of timed tight platforming challenges, which is just like not what the game has been about at all. Right. It's a lot it's been a lot more like slow paced, explorey around like more densely packed areas, and this is like here's a linear timed platforming challenge. Protect it's the basic not like an escort mission, but like protect that character from getting killed. Mm-hmm. Like annoying things that feel kind of tacked on. Yeah. And and honestly, like there's a point I think where if they had just because uh Oleander has like a or little Ollie as he's called, mm-hmm. uh has like a health bar throughout the whole uh first part of the mission. And the second part is not as bad. You do like a little grindy thing and then do some more platforming and then you're at the boss. Uh-huh. And that's all pretty bog standard and okay for me it's the first part and then it's the boss fight and those are the parts that really like fuck with me mm-hmm. but if they just replaced his health bar with a timer i feel like i would have been less stressed yeah. out by it yeah it's thank thankfully it resets every time you save him mm-hmm. like you get through each section but no yeah that part's super annoying results in like trial and error um and suffers really badly from the there aren't enough lines of dialogue for the npcs in the game and uh the even the the rail grindy part after it which you said was fine felt really weird to me it was like (laughs) the whole rail grinding thing felt like another one of those things that they included and then just didn't do anything with right and they were like gotta throw it in here at the end It's like a little rail grindy section for no reason. Yeah. It, it's funny because like people use the, the phrase like when, when something is like set and has only one outcome, they refer to it as being on rails. Yep. But that is not at all the case here because <laughs> <laughs> you've got to be like bouncing all over the place. Uh, but I felt like that was maybe not like an appropriate end to mm-hmm. that per- that particular mechanic, but it was 
like a step up that was along the lines of what it was going for. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Did you have an issue? Because this is the kind of detail that I would not remember from like 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, jumping between rails. Did you find that incredibly difficult? No. Okay. I didn't think it was difficult. It did feel like kind of sluggish or slow maybe, but it wasn't hard to do. Okay. I think I, cause I played it on the PS4. Yeah. I think the PS4 port might just be real bad. Uh, I wasn't going to say anything while you were playing it, but I know it looked worse, like noticeably worse. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was a sign that it's a bad port. Yeah, I think it's a bad port, guys. <laughs> uh, Maybe that's why you had trouble with the uh, telekinesis. Also very well. possible. I, th- I think there was some kind of like lack of responsiveness in the controls, and also it dropped a lot of frames. So doing like a, a, the side jump from one mm. p- rail to another uh, was very hard to execute on for some reason. Yeah. I'd recommend the PC port, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, PC or the original PS2 or Xbox versions. Uh, Or the Steam version, I guess, because it released for PC initially. So Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then the boss fight itself I didn't think was bad. A little bit wonky to, like, figure out what to do. But um, the, the hardest part, I thought, was after that where you have to uh chase raz's dad yeah with the rising water that is the hardest part the the third part like the final final boss would have been the hardest part if it wasn't a carbon copy of the first part Mm -hmm. because every attack he does just fucking kills you yeah (laughs) well not really but does like half of your life it's kind of absurd Mm -hmm. uh but you know what to do at that point you're just like okay i shield this i back up i shield that i hit him with the thing right uh but yeah, chasing the dad. Don't go chasing dads. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and also, once again, wasn't that bad except for the part at the end where you have to like go up around mm, the, the nets or the whatever the fuck they are. Shit. And it's like, what is the intended thing to do there? I think because yeah. what I had to do okay. is the only thing I could figure out, and it fucking sucked, was I'd climb up it to like the top corner ish part. And then kind of hop to where I was on top of it and then jump off and glide so I can make it to the next Wait, one. You, you stood on top of yeah, the gate? To, oh, my God. I couldn't jump to the next one right. without doing that. <laughs> yeah, and if what you do fall, you, do? you just die. What do you do? <laughs> as far as I know. Because you can't and, jump sideways. Right. That's what's fucked up about it because other games have done that sort of like 3D rotational before, but they just change the axis of your movement. Yeah. This game doesn't do that. What I do is I jump off of it completely, yeah. double jump, and then float to the next uh, see, one. That's really hard. Yeah, it's wonky to double jump off of a thing. Yes. Because you have to input the double jump like in the first like 30 frames, yeah. or else you just free fall to your death. So yeah, like I just kind of like hopped up on top of the little thin ledge. It was so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, that sucks real bad. Uh, also, just want to shout out in the first part of the level again because we kind of bypassed it. The sword thrower guy and the target thing—he mm. just takes so long, and it's so <laughs> frustrating when you have to do that part again. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Uh, 
So I'm, we're at least on the same page, I think. I was probably more frustrated. Yeah, by it. yeah. Like my, you know, like I feel like you watching me do that, you would think I had like godly patience. Yes, nerves of steel. Yeah, compared to what you like to put up with, <laughs> which is not that right. Uh, but yeah, definitely messy. Me- messy messy yeah to put it positively yeah <laughs> uh the design of the enemies was cool in that area yeah that that's my one positive yeah it, i like it, the meat grinders that yeah, grinded out bunny zombies it, it was a really weird aesthetic choice uh the meat circus uh, <laughs> as you could tell i almost kind of wish they would have leaned into it more and made it more like horror ish, like because fleshy meat grinding, you know, like it's just like that's disturbing stuff. Yeah, and I feel like maybe they they could have leaned into that. Uh, I want to like go into final thoughts here real soon, but I do want to expand a little bit on that because I actually because that it kind of ends up falling flat. I think. I agree. I think that it's almost iconic to the to the game to some extent. Like the last levels of the meat circus, it's this really hard platforming level where you die a whole bunch of times, and it sounds horrifying. But actually playing it, it's just tedious mm-hmm. more than anything. I think this game has a weird tone in regards specifically to violence, and it's very weird to me. Like because there's a an element of like. The your as we talked about your standard video game plot good versus evil bad guys trying to take brains out of kids put them in a tank blow up the world and that's bad yeah they, they everyone agrees <laughs> <laughs> nothing good about that but then every other time that like like uh what's the character's name Maloof the like I don't remember the kid's name yeah it was like a little short kid. Who got picked on. Oh, the one with the blue skin. <laughs> and then eventually, no. Uh, well, he gets guessed later. Okay. But the kid, the kid picking on him gets, uh, like, he becomes, like, a murderer. Like, <sighs> there's the other kid with the accent and the big tall hat who's, like, the Rolf character of mm. this this game. Uh, who at one point is, like, has this whole line of dialogue where he's just, like, uh, oh, we could do the the half deadly Nelson, and he's like, "What's?" He's like, "Well, what what's half about it?" And he's like, "It's uh, only half chance of dying." And he's like, and, "And the other half?" He's like, "Spend rest of short life wishing for death." <laughs> <laughs> and like Raz is not at all like razzled by this. Yeah, he and, just lets it go. Yeah, the other kid who's the first one to get his brain stolen. Mm. Uh, it, uh, talks about blowing up yeah, heads. Yeah, yeah, like accidentally exploding someone's head. And I mean, yeah, that is a humorous thing. Mm-hmm. Uh but, you know, also that makes him just a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't even mean to abstract it that far. It's more that it's played for laughs and I agree that it should be and that is like the intent and yeah. everything works out except all the characters' reactions to it are always of amusement. Like Raz is very amused by killing the lungfish, which is weird. Yeah. But I mean, I guess he knows that they aren't real. Uh, there's just kind of like a sick satisfaction. I feel like it takes in yeah, violence. That one I think is more justified because you're dropped in is like 
Godzilla. Yeah, true. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of set up that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody's going to shoot me when I go through there? Well, then maybe <laughs> yeah, one day. Yeah, everyone refers to you as Gogalore. So, yeah. You know. He's like, oh, well, I can get away with this Yeah. One. Uh, uh, I got to play the part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but all of that to say, because I like all of that, and I think it does a good job at establishing itself, I don't think they could have pulled off horror in a way that was like no, good. I feel like they could have done something creepier though. Like I feel like they could have done something. <laughs> That's fair. Uh But yeah, one last thing uh just popped into my head. Uh the the last level is a mix of your consciousness and coach uh Oleander's. And I think that's a really cool idea that I would like to see played with in the sequel. Yeah. Like, at least one level that's like a mix of two people's minds would be cool to see. I agree. And hopefully they don't have to get as contrived as putting both of them inside of a tank. Right, yeah. (laughs) To get it to work. Like, there's got to be some other way around that. Like Uh, twins or something? Yeah, great idea. That actually was... Make it happen. Yeah, like, like the, can we can we get to Double Fine headquarters? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Do we have? Ooh, this is, hold on. This is this one is ripe. It's like final thoughts. Thoughts. It's, it's a game about psychics. There's something oh. in here, but I I don't I cannot place it. You know. Mm-hmm. That's uh. Do we have? final thoughts <laughs> thoughts just works well enough this time do we have collective or something about the collective unconscious <laughs> do we have collective thoughts um uh i think i said it earlier um i think this is one of the most underrated or underplayed games of its time um, I don't know if other people had the same problem I did where they thought it was Xbox exclusive <laughs> for no reason. Uh, I, I think this holds up pretty well. I mean, it's on Steam. If for some reason you listen to this and haven't played it, absolutely check it out. Um, it's it As I was getting at, it, it really gets into a lot of the kinds of things I really appreciate in games. There's the theming and the the tone and the... Uh, context and like context yeah contextualization of like what everyone does and the why way the way things are the way they are in the game uh it's all really great well considered it's funny um it yeah as we said its biggest fault is that it kind of it needed some more time in the oven it kind of feels rushed in the last third ish of the game uh but there's some great stuff in there like people talk a lot about uh a a quick youtube search will reveal many a video on the milkman conspiracy and black velvetopia seem to be the standout favorites uh and it's for a reason there's a lot of great stuff in here and more people should play this yeah I, I feel like through this whole thing, and not to make it sound like you wasted your time, I don't think that we really went very much against the grain as far as popular opinion of this game goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really, it's just a, it's a good ass game, and I think it deserves to be celebrated. I think 
I agree with the majority of what you said. I, I remember a point uh, when I would like actually like just straight up advertise for this game because I was just upset that more people hadn't played it yet. And I would be, like go online, post, be like, hey, Psychonauts is $1.99 right now. Like, <laughs> I'll just buy it for you if you haven't played it yet. And I, I legitimately think like maybe one person ever like took me up on that. Something about this game is just like off-putting to some people. Uh, we never talked about the aesthetic. This is true. Weirdly, it's got a very. It's got like a claymation look. It does, and it has it's... like a Tim Burton sort of like sensibility. To yeah, it. I feel like yes, totally in the asylum. But I think earlier parts of the game, it reminds me more of like James and the Giant Peach, uh, and or like more like Coraline, like mm. st- stuff that's a little bit more colorful, uh, and kind of a, like a little bit of a weirder tone. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it it's weird because it's like a PS2 era game, and it doesn't quite come off that way, so it ends up looking a little bit weird. Yeah, it's got a a chunky sort of like bizarro way of displaying yeah, everything. And some of the characters are a little bit too weird looking, I think. Bobby Zilch's teeth and gums. Yeah. Like <laughs> I like that they went so weird, but some of them are too far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a character and I don't even remember I think it may have been Bobby, who at one point like because they made him so tall and lanky that like his elbows sort of diminish into nothing when shown from a certain angle. Yeah, the limbs are weird. Like Raz's arms feel like they're almost like they model made a modeling error, and they like <laughs> they get too small to where they connect to his shoulders. Yeah, they like pinch together like a rag doll. Yeah, it's very weird looking. It's super strange. Uh, so those are my <laughs> final. Thoughts. Yeah, sorry to cut those off there. No, that is fine. Uh, it is important, and I I did want to mention that and forgot. Yeah, so. I think it gels though into something that that looks good. It does. I think with the tone and setting of the game, the aesthetic is appropriate. I just think that maybe it's what it might be what keeps some no, people away. I think from it. that's totally legit. I think it would be uh, like some people would just find it ugly. Yeah. Uh, but they should. They should play it, particularly if their interest lies in writing and character development. Because maybe not development so much, but like character exploration. Yeah. Because that's what this game really does well. Uh, thank you for listening to No Clip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, uh, we're going to be talking about Death Stranding. Uh, the Ko- Kojima's hotly anticipated and now kind of hotly debated game. Uh, this episode... Who would have seen that coming? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's almost like he made PT and Metal Gear Solid Five mm-hmm. in the last five years. Almost. Uh, so uh, we're—I guess—we're kind of letting that die down a little bit because we're going to be releasing it in December mm-hmm. uh, and. Well, we'll see. We'll see where, how everything pans out with that. Yeah, I've played the first several hours of it and still don't know how I feel about it. So yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I'm like 12 hours in and think that it is uh, spoilers. I'll talk about it later. 
Until that time, when I will talk about it, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com. There you can find our Twitter, our email if you want to contact us, uh, links to all of our old episodes, uh, including an episode on uh, Broken Age from this game's developer or Metal Gear Solid 1 from Death Stranding developer. Look at how topical we're being. Uh, check out all of uh, the Noclip Pocket episodes we've released. Uh, I've been really happy with that series as of late. Yeah, it's definitely gotten better. Yeah, it's a good it's a good time. Uh, Telepathically smash that like button. <laughs> Use a palm bomb on the subscribe <laughs> button. God, you're getting a phone call. Pete, you're on the air. What up, dickneck? Uh. <laughs> Are you guys doing your podcast? Yeah. Yo, let me let me get a clip. I got a <laughs> clip of me in the show. Oh, well, you're being recorded right now. What up, world? <laughs> okay, well, I'll let you guys get back to it. I just wanted to, uh, I guess, just uh, annoy you. So, <laughs> there's no real purpose to my phone call. I'm I hope you enjoy it. I am extremely excited. Uh, I'm sure it's been an interesting talk. It- <laughs> <laughs> All right, ta-da.